Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Graham Norton Radio Show. How exciting is this? With Waitrose. Over on Virgin Radio. Up and Adam, come on, things to do. Don't cheer, you'll just embarrass yourselves. We're not bored of it yet, so it's lovely. There's no stopping them, no stopping them. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Oh, there's nothing nicer, is there? Nothing nicer. With Waitrose, food to feel good about. I mean, what's not to like? Saturday and Sunday from 9.30. Over on Virgin Radio. Welcome to the show. Bassus is here. Aloha. Uh, Rachel's here. Greetings. Okay, and on the way, Bronnie Ware. Tell us about Bronnie, please, Rachel. Uh, Bronnie is Australian and Bronnie is very wise. Uh, <laughs> Bronnie has written this incredible book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. She's uh, a palliative care carer, so she'll come into somebody's home um, at the very last stages of their lives, maybe the last couple of months, the last couple of weeks, and she spent a lot of time with these people. And despite the advancements, advancements of modern medicine death still has a 100% hit rate so we all need to read this book yeah we do and actually you know the things uh, the, the top five uh, regrets of the dying and it's not a morbid book at all it's not morose at all it's it's very inspiring it's very um, heartwarming and it's very informative and instructive but the top five uh, um, regrets of the dying are the ones you might think so you know don't spend uh, don't spend too much time in the office I wish I hadn't spent m- more time in the office things like that but she can confirm that these are reiterated and confirmed and reconfirmed from the lips of people who are in end-of-life care because she's a palliative nurse as you say Rachel yeah. it's a brilliant book Probably. just give us the top five there you have the you have the t- top five um chapters there uh, so um there regret is... one yeah. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself not the life others expected of me regret yeah. two I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Mm-hmm. Regret three. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Regret four. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. Regret five. I wish I'd let myself be happier. It's a really emotional book, this. I remember I was reading this book last night and I was thinking, I'd love to meet her. And then I had the very happy thought that I will tomorrow morning because <laughs> she's coming in. She is. <laughs> Okay, and we have a double bubble of wisdom and wonder because tomorrow on the show, Peter Tia is going to be here. Peter Tia is uh, an absolute genius. I know he's on tomorrow, but you've got. We'll play some of his greatest hits today on the show. He's the founder of Early Medical. He's the host of The Drive, one of the most popular podcasts in the world, uh, all about uh, health and medicine and well being. He's also the author of the brand new number one New York Times bestseller, which he's on this show to talk about, which I bought from my local bookshop two months ago. It's called Outlive the Science and Art of Longevity. And Dr. Tia received his medical degree from the Stanford University School of Medicine and trained for five years at the Johns Hopkins Hospital in general surgery. He's also done loads of other things. He's he's unbelievably clever. He's very vulnerable. He wears his heart on his sleeve. You know, he owns up to his mistakes and he gets on with life every single day and he lives so deeply. Uh, and he's on the show tomorrow. So that's good, isn't it? Wow. It's all good. Bees versus wasps. I mean, it does come down to bees being cuter. Yeah. That's one of the official, it says the official attributes uh, of the bee is, is one of them is much cuter than wasps. Oh, entirely unfair. Well, sorry, wasps. It's got 
cuteness mm. and yes. and if that's not enough i mean that's you know that's the right hook there mm. and then a left uppercut just to you know totally confirm the knockout blow honey honey no i mean cuteness honey mm. okay bees are simply vegetarian wasps that's all they are if it weren't for wasps there would be no bees still bees come from wasps there are over 100,000 species of wasps versus 22,000 species of bees the honey bee is only one of them I'm sorry, you can't just claim this. What do all the other bees do if they don't make honey? They do different things. things. They do different things. Okay. Some of them marshal, some of them volunteer at honeybee events. Okay. Things like that. Some yeah. of them are fundraisers. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I'm just going to big up the wasps if that's all right. Uh, wasps are diverse. There are wasps with 12-centimetre wingspans that can fly 40 kilometres an hour. Oh, that's that's terrifying. terrifying. Bees can barely fly at all. <laughs> they, they shouldn't. Sh- they shouldn't be able they to fly. They should not be able to fly, and that's another thing in their favour. Too cute to fly. They can turn other insects into zombies. This is the wasps. What? They are medicine what? cabinets. They produce antibiotics and antivirals, can- and they are nature's pest controllers, the aphids, etc. Can now- you go back to the zombies? Yeah, the zombies, yeah. They what can, do you mean? They can turn other insects into zombies, bees. Can you the give me wasps. some more information? I know, I'm not gonna, I haven't got time. I can't go into all this scientifically. You know, otherwise we'd sound like the infinite monkey cage, which is where I got all this from, <laughs> if I'm being really honest, uh, which is a brilliant programme. Yeah, the thing about the... Uh, well, many things about... The, the, the bee, of course, it's cute. It's 100% cute is what the bee... The bumblebee. So the bumblebee isn't the honeybee. You know that? No. Didn't know that. Well, there's 22,000 species. You got the bumblebee, you got the honeybee. You got lots and and 21,999. Yeah, exactly. More. Yeah, yeah, of course you do. And you're, you're, are you a fan of the, the honeybee or the bumblebee? Because I think in your mind they're the same bee. They're not even the yeah. same bee. Even though you're saying 22,000 species, I'm thinking they're all the same. I'm thinking they, it's they, all just Maya. They die, they die when they sting you, which is awful for the poor bee. Mm. Um, and wasps, the thing is with wasps, mm. there was a book, wasn't there, called does anything eat wasps? Yeah. In which that question was probably answered, um, but I still don't know. And it just seems like wasps are just, they're just out to get you. Can They've I just, got no um, nice redeeming have you seen, features. Have you seen a wasp nest? Have you seen how sophisticated a wasp nest is? It's unbelievable. They are beautiful things. And lots of people have their lives blighted by a wasp nest and they panic about them and they can't get rid of the wasps. And then they try and get somebody in and usually there's somebody... The person who comes in can get rid of the wasp. They destroy the wasp nest. They have these long poles, these extendable, you know, mm. extendable pole stuff. That's what's going on there. Um, however, if you if you do have a wasp nest, if you just leave it, it will disappear. They will go. It's only there temporarily whilst they are sorting out the wildlife in your garden. You know, like when somebody's having a big posh house built and they put up porter cabins because yeah. they're going to be there that long. It's their porter cabin. They're just, they're just, it's temporary accommodation for the wasps and they will leave and you won't have to get the pest controller in and they'll sort out all your aphids and they'll get all the, all the hierarchical um, uh, food chain of, uh, of your biosphere, your local biosphere, your biosphere, your residential biosphere. They will sort it out. And if you destroy their nest, they, they're only there for a reason. They're like international rescue. They don't go there to annoy humans. They go there because nature says, wasps required over here, please. And they go and sort it out. That's what they're doing. And if you get rid of your wasp nest, good luck. Because all the other stuff that isn't supposed to last as long as it, it does, uh, without the wasps, will be around and is going to ruin you. Aphids. Aphids nightmare. Aphids in the wrong place. Absolute nightmare. To sort our aphids out, we... <laughs> this is so unnatural. But to sort our aphids out, we order online ladybirds. And they come in the post and we release them 
and they eat the aphids in all the right places. I mean, we have to get them via Amazon, which I know is not part of nature's <laughs> grand plan. There you go. My argument somewhat fell down there, didn't if, it? I'd, yeah. <laughs> I'm just being honest. If, 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 the, if the choice is ladybirds in your garden over a summer or Wasp wasps, <laughs> oh. you're going to go for ladybirds, aren't you? Babe. They're lucky. They don't sting you. Yeah. You can be in the garden with them. It's just generally wasps. Very, very sly use of assonance there. Anonymatopoeia. Yeah. Ladybirds in your... What do you want? Ladybirds in your... Oh, wasps. Yeah. <laughs> See what I was trying you to do there. You can't with your intonation, mate. Um, so we're going to talk about future classics again today because it's a great subject and everybody loved it. And you can get cars that are already classic, um, you know, only a few years old. I truly believe some cars come off the production line as classics, let alone um, grow into future classics. What about the top 10 most popular cars in the UK ever? OK, because without these, without these, without these wasps, you don't get the bees, Vassos. <laughs> is it? Can we guess what the number one is? Do what you like. I'm going to read the top 10. The top 10 most popular cars in the UK ever. And number 10, the Mini Metro. 1,498,000 sales. And number nine, the Mini, the original Mini, the one that's actually a Mini, not the yeah, Maxi. The, the, the small, small one. one. Yeah. yeah, one and a half million all-time sales. See, this is quite low, I think. Over 60-odd years of the Mini oh, selling. Yeah. Um, number eight, the Ford Focus. 1.769 million all-time sales. This is in the UK, just in the UK. Number seven, the Volkswagen Golf, 1.8 million. Number six, the Vauxhall Cavalier, 1.8 million. Number five, the Vauxhall Corsa at 1.829 million. Number four, the Ford Cortina, 2.5 million. Number three, the Vauxhall Astra, 2.845 million. Number two... Ford Escort. Ford Escort is number two. You're quite right. Number two, the Ford Escort. Four million. Wow, almost double number three. And number one, the UK's most popular selling car of all time is anyone? Ford Transit. I suppose that's a van. What do you mean you suppose it's a van? It's a van. <laughs> this is a car top ten. Thank goodness you said oh. that, because I was far too impressed with you getting number two right. And now I'm all right. I was, I was anxious then. I thought, oh, no, he's getting all clever and sensible on me. And then he chimes in, number one, the van. Top ten, number one out of the top ten most popular selling cars in the UK, the van. What a muppet. What do you think, Rachel? A Nova. It's another Ford. Mondeo. No. Begins with F. Fiesta. Yeah, correct. Well done. All right. Uh, current... Um, Top 10 uh, best-selling cars in the UK. This is up 2022, as recent as we can get. Four Fiesta down to number 10. Uh, number 9, the Ford Cougar. Number 8, the Volkswagen Golf. Number 7, the Hyundai Tucson. But you don't say Hyundai, do you, anymore? Yeah, so there's an advert about the it. The advert's about it not being hey, Hyundai, but Hyundai. none of us can remember. Hey, is it Hyundai? Hyundai. Hyundai. Okay. Uh, number 6, the Kia Sportage. Anyone got one of those? Oh, my brother had one of those. Says Fan? great. Did you like it? Loved it. What do you mean? Well, why did he then have Then he it? went on to get an electric Kia. Okay, so he's still in the Kia. Yeah. Hood. Number five, the Mini. Uh, number four, the Ford Puma. Number three, the Tesla Model Y. Number two, the Vauxhall Corsa. And number one, the Nissan Qashqai. Wouldn't have thought that. May we please load up the clip we played out yesterday, later on, from our friend Richard Koch. So Richard Koch is this genius investor. I didn't realise he's like in his 70s. He doesn't sound like he's in his 70s. Um, he went to Oxford 
I think he he got an MBA over in oh somewhere in America, and he went to Oxford. He's so laid back. He sounds like who does he sound like? Oh, um, Bill Nye. Bill Nye. He sounds like Bill exactly Nye. Exactly like Bill Nye. Yeah, not exactly actually. Uh, yeah, no, uh, like ninety-five. Yeah. Oh, hang on a minute. I told you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. No, but then throw when you my hear own it, opinion back at me. When you hear it, you think he's playing table tennis with his son as he's speaking. You know, yeah, don't get me. Don't let, let's not go there. Oh, Vastas is talking about the scene in About Time where the dad and the son in the time machine, and then the the son starts playing table tennis with his dad, and then he stops, and his son looks like he's going to cry, and dad says he's already passed, by the way, so he's come back to see him. He says, oh, "Is it time? Is this where we don't see each other anymore oh, after this on, moment?" Oh, you fall apart, you fall apart, you fall apart, you fall apart. You have to be put back together by the rest of your family when you're watching that. As a dad, uh, maybe as a mum as well, I can only speak as a dad. Um, but anyway, he's a genius investor. Um, he talks about the 80-20 rule, it's pre-test principle. It's been around for hundreds of years. He wrote a book about it called the 80-20 rule. And basically, it's it's a rule, a general rule in life. And this is a general rule, but it's it's pretty accurate, but it is general. Um, and the ethos or the foundation of the rule is that 20% of um, uh, 20% effect gives you 80% of consequences to do with basically anything. Uh, he talks about business, of course, but then, well, he talked about business to do with the 80-20 rule in his first book. He's now applied it to life and to happiness and things like that. And so, for example, 20% uh, of a, a company, uh, company's turnover and profit will come from sorry, 80% of a company's turnover profit will come from 20% of its customers um, for, for usually in its formative sort of um, existence. And so what you might do then is say, that, well, why don't we just sack 80% of our customers and they, they can go somewhere else and we'll focus on our 20% will go 100% and because, because of the percentages, uh, we will now have four days a week with nothing to do apart from maybe look after our 20% even more and grow them. And if you do that with life, um, to do with friends and relationships and effort and uh, your mindset and exercise and food and things like that, um, then your life will be immeasurably better almost overnight. And so we'll play a bit of him because we played this yesterday, but we played it, I think it was after nine o'clock, wasn't it? Yeah. This is just a bit of him on the latest Tim Ferriss Show podcast. It's two and a half hours of absolute genius. Go to really easy listening, light on his sleeve. Genius. You know, one of the things that I say in the 80-20 book is that why don't you spend more time on the things that you like? So a lot of people say, well, pleasures, you know, this is not very spiritual, you know. People like pleasures. Would you rather spend an evening with people that you enjoy spending an evening with? Or would you rather spend an evening with people that are miserable? And it's amazing. I go around asking people, who are your best five friends in the world? And people come up with a list. And then I say, who are the five people that you spend most time with? And very often, the lists are completely different. And that tells you that that person, they might be happy, but they're certainly going against the grain. And again, people, you know, some people like living where they live. Other people find it noisy and unpleasant. Other people find it too boring. Why don't you go and live somewhere that you actually really like, that suits you, that has the same sort of people that you enjoy seeing in the street? Why don't you do that? Most people just doesn't cross their mind. <laughs> it's beautiful. Oh, 
uh, everything he says, he talks about the base level of happiness. You know that theory that there is a base level of happiness, that everybody's basically, you know, well, you are what you are, but most people are a seven. And even if they win the lottery after six months, they return back to a seven. He says, absolute tosh. He says he knows loads of people who had, you know, a terrible first half of their life and have had a brilliant second half of their life. And he knows people who've got to their their 50s, you know, and uh, had one experience of life and then had an exponentially better one after the age of 50. He's like, no, no, it is if you... If you sort of, if something comes easily, like winning the lottery or something like that. But he said, if you put the work in, you can change your life. You can double your happiness. And then he talks about what is happiness. What is happiness? To him, happiness is what's left when the noise stops. Oh, that's good. <laughs> it's the best. That is good. It's the best. And for him, um, when the noise stops, happiness is stillness and being at peace. Mm-hmm. And if you have that when the noise stops, that means it means that you always have it and it underpins your whole day-to-day existence. <laughs> you enjoying the show today. <laughs> you glad you came in today, Rachel? I am really glad I came in today. <laughs> right to bees and wasps. I'm here for you, everyone. Really? I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Yeah, Paul in East Yorkshire. Didn't you once say that wasps can microwave their predators by changing the frequency of their wing movements? Or was that bees? Paul, you're exactly right. That's what I said. I once said wasps can microwave their predators by changing the frequency of their wing movements. Or is it bees? That's exactly what I said. <laughs> also, that's terrifying. <laughs> it's so interesting because the best-selling new cars of 2022, the top 10, is completely different like completely different to the best-selling used cars of the same year. Oh, it's that's so inter- good. It's so interesting. I mean, of course, there's reasons for that. Best-selling used cars of 2022, number 10, BMW 1 Series, number 9, the Audi A3, number 8, the VW Polo, number 7, the BMW 3 Series, number 6, the BMW Mini, number 5, the Vauxhall Astra, number 4, the Ford Focus, number 3, the VW Golf, number 2, the Vauxhall Corsa, and number 1, the Ford Fiesta. And listen to this. This is really interesting. At number 10, the BMW 1 Series, best-selling used car of 2022. Number 10, the BMW 1 Series. Um, number of cars sold, 112,000. That's the 10th best-selling used car of 2022. The number one best-selling new car of 2022, the Nissan Qashqai, sold 42,000. Units. Oh, very interesting. Really interesting. The Audi A3 at number nine sold 114,000. These are the used cars. That's why the used car, that's why you get into the used car, because the cars are so good nowadays. They're so good, they last so much longer. The warranty's gone forever, because they just don't break down. Now, the VW Polo, 137,000. Uh, this is the used car market last year. The BMW 3 Series, 155,000. BMW Mini at number six, 158,000. Number five, the Vauxhall Astra sold 165,000. Number four, the Ford Focus, 213,000, nearly a quarter of a million. Number three, the VW Golf, 216,000. Number two, the Vauxhall Corsa, 229,000. Number one, the Ford Fiesta, 288,000. Um, I think, <laughs> I think, let me do the quick master, 120, 150, 180, 210, 240, 270, 300. So the Ford Fiesta, so a used Ford Fiesta in 2022, they sold almost as many of those as the whole of the top 10 of the new car market. They're just 30,000 short. Uh, as a Ford Fiesta <laughs> wow. outselling the... Um... How many times, on average, does a car get bought and sold in its life? Depends what kind of car it is. Okay, a Ford Fiesta. Um, 
Well, I don't know specifically, but it depends what kind of car it is. So the more um, luxurious um, on the elite level, they get yeah. they are sold loads and loads of times because people want to have the experience of owning one. And they think they want one. They buy one. They get it out of their system and they go back and sell it. So if you get your Ferraris and your Porsches and your Maseratis and things like that, even though they're only like between five and ten years old, you will often see they've been sold six, seven, eight times, usually by the same dealer. It's a bit like stockbroking. doesn't matter whether the stocks go up and down. The broker gets the commission either way, um, you know, and sells more in, you know, a boom and bust and bull and bear markets, et cetera, et cetera. Bees and wasps. Oh, here we go. Because of the team. It's good today, isn't it? I like today. Yeah. July the 12th, everyone. Let's hear it for July the 12th. Yay! July the 12th. Control room cheer for July the 12th. It's a Wednesday. <laughs> Chris and the team recently collected a swarm of bees that arrived one evening in my garden last month. Since then, I have had to learn so much. I always felt the same way about wasps and other living creatures. They all have an equal place in our world, says Adam in Dorset. Adam, you know... You remind me of last time we went to Los Angeles this time last year and a swarm of bees landed on the roof of the veranda in the house that we were staying in and we didn't know what to do with them because you think of swarms of bees as like a as like a sort of um plum shape don't you, you the, yeah the, that's the swarm of bees they can be ours were flat they were just a flat swarm of bees on on the roof they were oh. they'd all landed basically and they would they would um swarm they would huddle closer at night to keep warm and in the day they would spread out more but there were thousands of them so i went online because on youtube you can um, you can youtube how to gather a swarm of bees mm -hmm. and it doesn't seem that difficult but i wasn't prepared to take the risk <laughs> <laughs> without any i didn't know about healthcare and health insurance in the us and i was thinking this could end so this could ruin the whole holiday so what we did is we found some people up who do it for a living yeah. yay <laughs> the, the professional yeah <laughs> and they did it in 15 minutes yeah. um yeah anyway good <laughs> I do know though if you have got a, if you have got a wasp nest you, if you can leave it you should leave it because it's there for a reason nature has called international wasp rescue for a reason to wherever you are and they are temporarily there they're there if have you seen a wasp nest no. they're so beautiful they're they're sort of um medium to large easter egg size they're easter egg shaped and they are so I don't know what the heck they're made of but they're so thin they they, they they're so thin and fragile, yet strong because of their structure. So if you pick one up as a human, you can crush it in your hand. But it's, you know, it's windproof, it's rainproof, it's phenomenal. It's because it's nature, because we're nature as well. Sandra, pulp and saliva. Wood pulp and saliva is wood. That's why they eat the wood, to build their nest. Did you know that? We're not going to you know. I heard something the other day that they used to put sawdust in food to fatten it up in the 50s and 60s. Probably not true. <laughs> Check it out. Sandry from Sandy Acre. Uh, we spent quite a bit of time this weekend watching a leaf cutter bee hiding leaves in our gazebo tubing. Fascinating to watch. Absolutely. I mean, not quite as good as the cricket on Sunday. Yeah. But I'd on have... Saturday, yeah, yeah that, that was a good <laughs> yeah. watch. Let's talk about the cricket. Masters, what's going on with the cricket? Ladies play today. Yes, so it's the first of the one-day internationals, one test match, three T20s, and then three one-day internationals to decide the outcome of the women's ashes. It's the first of them today. England-Australia starts at one o'clock in Bristol. Now, if you wanted to get a ticket, adult and junior tickets are sold out so if you're thinking you're going to watch the cricket in bristol today you can't get an adult or a junior ticket if you wanted a premium ticket 
Well, that's also sold out. Um, So you'd have to go for a hospitality ticket. Mm. And they're also sold out. It's a complete sellout. Love it. Um, In Bristol today, as England play Australia in the first one-day international. So that's 50 overs aside. And uh, England do have to win again. Uh Uh-huh to keep the series alive but they have won the last two matches Which, and momentum is very much here. But it's making every yeah. game like a final. Exactly. You know, and as long as we keep winning that's okay. Mm-hmm. Once we don't, okay, it's over. But right now it's perfect. That's perfect. That's today, is it? Same with the men's, by the oh way. Just keep winning. Oh my goodness Just keep winning. Just keep winning. Of course, the principal partners of uh, all this cricket are Cinch. Yes. And I really also us. appreciate it if you mention them every time you mention the cricket, Vassos. Oh, England, by the way, they're sponsored by Cinch and Toby. Thank you. <laughs> Love music? Love interviews with lovely musicians? Search Virgin Radio UK on YouTube to find brilliant album specials with some of the shiniest lights on our playlist, including George Ezra. This is going to be something I'll remember. And that's a really lovely thing. I don't think I was able to do that in the past. And James Bay. Come on, lady. Don't you agree that everybody needs someone when they feel alone? Watch all that and more at youtube.com slash UK. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Vasus Alexander, who do we have to talk to next? Our next guest simply knows. Her years spent working in palliative care means she knows death and therefore also knows life. Her brilliant book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, is out now. So let's welcome the carer who's a wearer. It's Bronnie Ware. <laughs> Hi, Bronnie. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> thank you for your book. Can so say all of us, yeah? Yes, yes. Okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank Beautiful. you, thank you. What a book. For people who don't know about you and don't know about your book um uh tell us about what you ended up doing almost by accident uh and what your book is and the five main topics of the book and then we'll go on from there if that's okay sure sure i was looking for uh work that didn't involve high heels and uniforms and corporate uniforms so i took a job as a carer and uh, a living carer and that patient actually ended up being terminally ill and that opened the door to eight years of looking after dying people and It was certainly nothing I saw coming other than I wanted a job with heart and no high heels. So, um, yeah, that led into into eight years. And then I kept seeing or hearing these repeated themes come up over the years. And the first time I heard one or two about the regrets that were shared with me, I started paying attention because I thought I'm witnessing some pretty huge anguish and heartache here I don't want to go down the same road and yeah so I I started paying more attention and and there turned out to be five main themes and they came from different angles and in different wording sometimes but they were still five main themes yeah and we've heard about the themes before but you've heard them firsthand so you can confirm that they're right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. So, so do you, do you recall the first time you had you heard one of these themes and it sort of struck you and you thought, oh yeah, people do say this, but now I'm I'm witnessing it for the first time. This sentiment. 
I don't think I was aware of people saying it so much when I first heard it. And so it was quite an impact on me because I, I realised, hang on a sec, I'm being given a, a big lesson here. Yeah. And it was a little tiny lady called Grace. And she'd stayed with the in a very unhappy marriage um, for decades, yeah. as that generation did. Her husband apparently was an ogre. That's what her adult kids described him as. And she wanted to go travelling. He didn't. And then he ended up in a nursing home. And so she went straight off to the travel agent and got the catalogue to go on a bus tour of Australia. And straight away after that, didn't get anywhere. She started becoming ill and uh, she was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer, had never smoked. He smoked in the house. And so it was in looking after her. I was doing 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. shifts five to six days a week. And the role, really, as much as I had to wipe backsides and try and feed them something, because at that age, that stage people don't want to eat much, but it really became one as a listener. And uh, so one day when Grace was in tears and I was hugging her and she just squeezed her little, little bony hand, squeezed my wrist, and she was in tears and said to me, whatever you do, Bronnie, promise me, promise this dying woman that you will always have the courage to live a life true to yourself, not the life that other people expect of you. And it just hit home. I was trying to change direction and go against my family's expectations and all sorts of things then. And just, I, you know, I'd grown to love her, but also just witnessing the, the depth of that anguish, I just thought, oh, okay, I actually need to find the courage to do this for myself because I there's no way I'm going to end up experiencing this anguish and heartache myself. This is a lesson here. So the book is um, the Top 5 Regrets of Dying, but it's not five chapters, it's five sections with chapters leading on from the main headline, isn't it? Yes. Um, yep. And that's the, you, you know, that's the first story you tell in the book of, of an encounter with somebody who gives you one of these lessons which you now um, selflessly have given to us. So thank you so much for that. Um, the next one um, is I Wish I Hadn't Worked So Hard. And so you meet this chap, you encounter this chap, he's in his 90s, and uh, just, just tell us a little bit about his story and his his poor wife and what went on there so um that's margaret and john and so she had wanted to wanted him to retire but he was caught up in his identity around his work it was in engineering and he just kept saying after one more deal after one more project basically i'll retire after that and you know she was getting all excited thinking yep he's going to retire and then he'd say after one more deal one more deal and before he got to retire he'd finally said yes I'm going to before he actually got to she was diagnosed with terminal illness and had died before that so so this went on for 15 years ish wasn't it yes Uh, and then then he says okay I'll I'll, okay I'll do it I promise you I'll do it I love you I'll do it but you need to give me 12 months to wind this down. That's right. And it was within that 12-month window yep. that she was then diagnosed. And then in the end, ironically, he had to retire three months early to look after to her. To look after her. It's crazy, yeah. eh? Yeah, heartbreaking. Absolutely Really heartbreaking. heartbreaking. Yes. Um, let's go to I Wish I'd Had the Courage to Express My Feelings. Let's talk about that. Yeah, well, um, it came from a few different or a couple of different angles. One was people wishing that they'd be able to tell their families that they loved them. There were a lot of families that didn't have those communication channels open and it just was terrifying for some people to think that they could would have to be that vulnerable to tell their families they loved them. But there were also patients who, who wished they'd stood up for themselves against their families 
or against whoever and actually treated themselves kinder and expressed their feelings in that way. Yeah. I guess in these days we'd call it setting boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just a question of regretting not telling people that you love them. It's a question of not having loved yourself enough. That's right, Chris. And protected yourself enough. Yeah. Uh, Give us an example of that, a first-hand example of that. Uh, Darling old man, uh, 91, and uh, his family wouldn't even admit that he was dying. And he actually had to ask me, am I dying? And I said, yes, Joseph, you are. You're tearing up just talking yeah, about it. And well, you've written a book about it and it still hits yeah, you so Yeah, I mean, hard. I lived it. Yeah, I lived it and I cared for these people. And so I, I used to massage their hands and their feet and, like, get lotion and just... Uh, I guess that broke down barriers as well and... And, uh, yeah, he was – his family just stayed in denial all the way through and and he knew, of course he knew he was dying. And they're bringing in huge meals every day and he's he's down to like half a strawberry or half a tub of yoghurt and they're saying, come on, eat up, you'll be well – you know, you'll be well in no time. And so I said to him – he asked me, you know, he said, I'm dying, aren't I? And I said, yes, Joseph, you are. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie to someone when it's so obvious and – that's that's a really lonely way to die. And I said to him, do you want to talk about it with the family? I'll be the medium sort of in between and, and break down those sort of barriers. And he was like, oh, no, no, it's too hard. It's gone too late now. What a way to die. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so lonely with family all around you. Yeah, but so so surrounded but alone. Yes. Oh, jeez, that's yeah. just awful. Um, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. I wish I'd let myself be happier. Again, these are sort of five sections to the book, but there's many stories within uh, each sort of um, each uh, each part, each window. What's, what, which is the most recurring themes you think you come you come across? Um, that that first one, wishing that I'd I'd lived a life true to myself, not the life that others <sighs> expected of me. Isn't it strange though? Isn't yeah. it? Because when you're younger. You just you think, well, I'm never going to be that person. I'm never going to get caught up in a situation or a relationship or a job or whatever. Mm-hmm. Who would do that? How, how silly? Why would you do that? And surely there are enough people in the world who are sort of um, self-aware, you know, to a, a vast percentage of those that aren't. But over time, you just become weary. You become anaesthetized. Then you become numb. And then from delusion and denial... You, you you create a new reality, which is the opposite of everything you ever wanted. And you can't get out of it anymore because you've isolated yourself from the inside out and you've built up all these layers and nobody can get in, which I suppose is the security aspect of it, but you can't get out anymore. Mm. Yeah, well said. Absolutely. And and then you, you sort of take on all those responsibilities and you you think it's too late to actually have a go and change direction midlife or, or whatever, but it's it's only too late if you're on your deathbed. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think crisis helps that as a yeah. catalyst? I think that life gives us a crisis if the yearning to change is big enough. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's... So it could be either way around. It's a bit of both. We either find the courage to make the changes more gently ourselves and do it as a step-by-step process, or life just says, I've been listening to that longing for decades now. I'm going to crack you open so that you actually have to stop and look at this. Yeah. Wow. And is there any tools you've come across to help people realise that or um, nudge that process more in their favour than away from them? I believe that leaving a little bit of space or creating a little bit of space so you can actually hear the quiet sometimes is 
you can't underestimate it how important yeah. having a bit of space is and it's easy to say i don't i've got too many responsibilities with work family whatever yada 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 yeah but if you carve out two or three hours a week doing something that you love then life's actually going to say oh okay they're they're showing a commitment here or this is what i found and then those gaps open up further and you're given some shortcuts along yeah. the way because a part of trying to change direction and do what we really wanted to do in the first place is spending way too much time trying to work out how and trying to control it and it's like, oh, no, no, it's too hard. I'm just – there's no way I could do that. Yeah. And if we at least just have the courage to take the first step – and have enough faith in ourselves or in life that the next step will the the second or third step will reveal themselves when we're ready yeah. then at least we're taking those steps and so if we get hit by a bus at least we know we we gave it a go yeah. which is even if you don't see the final dream realized and i mean the dream the final dream never actualizes exactly how we see it anyway mm. because life will throw some curveballs in to gift us with with a better vision but if we can at least just have the strength and the courage to take a step or two, then really we're, we're on our way. This is such an important book. It's so important. It's so important for so many reasons. You know, people talk about meditation and prayer or, and stillness and, and quiet and peace, you know, and one of the main reasons it's so important to give it a go is to discover how difficult it is to sit on your own in silence for half an hour. It's And so who are you sitting with? You're sitting with yourself. Mm. So that means you're uncomfortable with yourself or the monkey's taken over, you know, the chimp paradox yeah. has become a reality. Yep. Um, and all these, this is... I love books like I love books that deal with the subjects that your book deals with, but I've never come across a book that deals with it from where your book deals with it. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh what have, what have you, how have you changed? Because you don't do this anymore, do you? No, no, I don't, but it still influences everything I do. Of course I it do. does. Yeah. So do, if I, do you have a, a, a sort of a blueprint now, a playbook, if you it's like? It's a natural blueprint, yeah it's, yeah. it's not like a list to be ticked off anymore. Right. It's basically just questions I ask myself, like if I've got a really difficult decision to make and there's an easy path and a hard path, but the hard path has the potential to lead me where I really want to go, right. I'm going to ask myself, okay, if you take this path, are you going to regret it? Or if you don't take that path, you know, and and so I do. I, I ask myself about that and I know that if I don't take that hard path and give this a go, I am going to regret it and I'm not willing to have regrets. I'm not willing to create regrets when I've witnessed too many, too much pain surrounding yeah. them. Yeah. My favourite quote about that is the Terry Pratchett quote, which is the hard way is so hard, but the easy way is so much harder. Well, you're lying to yourself. Totally. Yes. And it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because your true nature will guide you towards the bumpiest path. But because you're dealing with your true nature, it will be much easier than you think. And your false nature will lead you to the smoothest path, which will seem more navigable at the time, but leads to no, leads to the opposite of where you really yeah. want to go. It and And if you keep on going down that path... You're, you, when you get to the end of it or even halfway, you're so far away from where you need to be. You go, oh, and suddenly the smooth path becomes all slippery and you've got to get back up the slope. And then you back, you, then you think, well, if I did that, I'm only back to where I started. And you find all these reasons not to do it in the first place, things like that. Oh, my goodness. The easy path will never fulfil us. And no, never yeah. in a million years. And by the way, give it a go um, if you have a million years to spare. Rachel. How can we help loved ones have a good death? 
Okay, that's great. Um, talk about it. Talk about death before people are dying. Bring it into an everyday conversation in the family because we're all going to die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Chris Fass, we're all going to die. Every listener, we're going to die. <laughs> so we need to actually yeah. bring that into the culture and, and speak about it more. Um, try and keep family sibling fights away from, uh, you know, one of the things I noticed a lot was or not a lot, but too often, was sibling rivalry distracting the dying person from finding their peace because they're still parents who are still worrying about their children, even if their children are 50 or 60. And so keep all, be emotionally mature enough to keep that away from the dying person. That's yeah. a great point, isn't it? Because yes. often the, the children of, old, of people who are dying are middle-aged themselves, if not older, and therefore one must bear in mind that around their parents, they're still little children. Yes, yeah. So you're still, <laughs> you've got kids in charge. The kids are in charge. And they're worrying about the grief their child is going to go through over their death and they're feeling responsible and a burden before they've even died instead of just being able to accept, like deal with their own mortality and their own, you know, they're at the sunset, they're, yeah, yeah. they're sunsetting. And and so I, I think just by speaking about it more, asking family how they want to die, like, do you want to die at home? Um yeah, just not dictating things, but try and keep the channel open as much as possible and love them up as, as much as you can. Yeah. What's extraordinary for me about this conversation is that my mum dealt in palliative care. She was okay. she was a geriatric nurse and then she worked in a care home and, and she, she saw loads of people dying and she comforted them. And, you know, all the things you're saying about hand massaging and it's all so important, isn't it? Yes. It's so all that stuff, all that that um, hands on care is so, so, so important. It's more important than anything else, any medicine or anything else. And the thing about my mum is, which I find extraordinary talking to you and I'd like your take. I request your take on it, if you don't mind. You know, she had a terrible fear of dying herself. And it was almost as if she had been so busy comforting the people that were dying. She hadn't taken on any of the lessons that you write about in your book or she had purposefully not take, taken them on because they were too hard to cope with. My dad died prematurely, so maybe that had something to do with it. Um, but I find your book so different a take on the almost exact same situation that my mum experienced. What, what do you think about that? For me, it actually helped me get rid of my fear of death. Right. Because I I saw how quickly it, the actual transition is over, where the spirit leaves the body. And, and I mean, that, that in itself is pretty amazing. It is extraordinary. And, and also, I witnessed a few people who had a look of recognition and awe and love just before they died. And that gave me faith in that we return, we go somewhere or we returned, I believe we return to somewhere. And the joy on their faces, and it wasn't by far the majority, but it was an, a handful of people which were, was enough for me to realise, oh, there can actually be bliss in dying. There's actually yeah, yeah. bliss surrounding dying here. And yeah. so to me, in a way, I don't want to go early. I've got a daughter and I'd feel a bit ripped off for her. But at the same time, all of those deaths that I witnessed helped me not be scared of the physical side because the actual extraction isn't that long. And 
if anything, I, I just am in wonder in, in, in a loving way of what's to come. So I feel very blessed that... Yeah, and you sound like you're at peace with it already. Yes, you're, yeah. you're pre at peace with your diet, with yeah, your Yeah, well, who's, who knows if it's at, at pre at peace. It could be tomorrow. It yeah. could be this afternoon. Uh, we are sadly running out of time far too quickly. Vassos. Bro- Bronnie, you're amazing. I mean, some of the... Some of the care you give in difficult circumstances I find utterly um, inspirational. But also, equally so, um, can you talk a little bit about how you used, where you used fasting and meditation? You were told by a doctor that you'd be dead in a year unless you had an operation and you thought, no, that's not the way I want to go. I'm going to, I'm going to basically will myself better. It was a bit of a journey. I mean, it it took, (laughs) it took, um, excavating some pretty big wounds within me but uh yeah I had um skin cancer and I don't talk about it a lot because I don't want to say to everyone else yes you can do this but for me I just felt very clear that there was a way to do this and so I did I did a lot of fasting and I did a lot of meditating and then I had one particular episode where I was I was fasting and at the end, and I was meditating through that. I was house sitting a little cottage in Melbourne at the time, and at the end of it, I just had this massive purge. My, I ran to the toilet and just had to vomit all this stuff out, and um, and I just knew after that that I was okay, and uh, and I have been. I've, I mean, that was well over 20 years ago now that that incident, and um, I've never had skin cancer in that leg where I was told that. And that I would die from it. So, yeah, it was a um, a pretty ambitious move, and and you know it's it's a hard one to share because I don't want to give people false illusions about this. I'm not um, I'm not saying that's the way everyone should go, but ha- having dealt with other illness since, I do believe it's absolutely phenomenal how much capacity we have to support our healing journey. And there's a yeah. phrase for it, isn't it? It's called undiagnosed spontaneous recovery. Uh, it's been recognised now. Yes. It's not woo-woo. Uh, you can't dispense it. It doesn't work for No, it doesn't for everybody. everyone. Yeah. But it, there is a term for it because yes. it's a, they've accepted it's a real thing. It does happen and yeah. it happened with you. Mm. Bronnie, we are out of time, but we are not out of inspiration, thanks to you. Uh, what would you like? We've got a minute left. What would you like to say to people? I'll just face the fact that you are going to die and that you're allowed to be happy in the meantime. So try and live as courageously as you can and recognise how sacred every single day is. Yeah, and I think because a lot of people... Here, here, by the way. And I think because a lot of people fear death, they just they deny it. It, they don't deny it's going to happen, but they don't deny just the concept of is it's too foreboding for them to even make a will, for example, because that indicates an acknowledgement of the fact you're going to die one day. It's too sad to go and make a will with your family. And I know that because I was that person for 45 years, made a will for the, you know, when I was 46, I think, for the first time ever, t- frightened to death of death. And therefore, ergo, that's why people sort of um, then parachute a load of drama into their life and to try try and, and basically where where we end up sometimes we not you where we end up sometimes is overcomplicating the joy of today because of the fear of death tomorrow yes and so just take that complication out accept it's going to happen think about it um let it sit you know deal with it and let it go and then you can truly live yeah and you can ask yourself how do i really want to live how can i, I better yeah. get on with this because they say we only get two lives um the, and you only get the second one, which is the real one, when you realise that the first one isn't forever or something like that. I can't remember. It's a much pithier phrase than that. Yeah, I think you did it well. No, okay. that's fine. Uh, Bronnie, your book is amazing. It's great to have you on the show. 
It's great to meet you. If you want to hear more of Bronnie, she's recorded an amazing t- uh, conversation with our good friend Rong and Chatterjee. Yeah, that won't be out until September, yeah, I think. Yeah, but it'll yeah. be out. Yes. Um, yeah. And also with Fern Cotton for her podcast, yes. Happy Place, as well. Yeah. Bronnie, it's joy, pleasure, honour to meet you. Oh, for me too. Thank, Thank you. Love the 80s? Then you'll love Virgin Radio 80s Plus. Love Chris Evans. Love the 80s. Over on Virgin Radio. 80s Plus.